how good it is to be with you again. And I was glad to hear the, the news, a little report about what Pastor Jim will be up to. Uh, I'm not envying him this week at all. You should not. Just pray for him. Charlotte and I have done that not too many years ago, three years ago. And uh, it sounds like an easy thing until you start. <laughs> and it's not. Some of you asked about my health. I'd forgotten when exactly I'd been to see our physician. And uh, the good news is I'm still in the what they call the 0.00 club. That, uh, if, if you understand prostate cancer, that's what you always want to be in. And uh, so we're grateful to the Lord for those good reports and for his strength. And we're delighted to share with you this morning from the Old Testament. Uh, I know that you will be in the New Testament more. If I were your pastor, you'd be in the New Testament more than the Old Testament also. But every once in a while, it's good for my heart, and I hope for yours, to go back and see what the Scriptures have to say about God and His people and, of course, the Savior of whom we'll speak today. So the, the text is from, Hebrew, uh, excuse me, from Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. And you will, many of you will recognize this passage as we begin to read it. Isaiah chapter 11, verse, verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what he sees or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with, his, with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. Cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw with the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's dead den. And they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Reading of God's Word. I want to talk to you this morning about what I refer to as the search of a lifetime. Now, Charlotte might think I'm speaking about trying to find my keys because most of my life, at least with her, that's what I seem to be looking for. Or it might be for that perfect pillow that you've been wanting all your life or sofa or car or house or, oh, the list could go on and on. But, of course, that's not what we'll speak of today at all. 
It might be, I suppose, that image that we even sang of today, reflected on, of the wise men and their search for the, the coming of this Messiah. The story is wonderfully told in the Scriptures. Or, I suppose we could tell the famous sermon by Russell Conwell called Acres of Diamonds. If you've never read it, he became the president of Temple University and he put together some stories that remind us very clearly that finding the true wealth in life is usually in our own backyard. And um, he put together a, a famous sermon on that topic. But, but let me try this instead. Charlotte and I were serving in a, a small church in uh, rural Maine. We've told you about it before. And all across America, and some of you are old enough to remember this, but all across America in the year 1976, an organization called Crew or Campus Crusade for Christ had this campaign. It went on for four years. It was called I Found It. And the purpose was to catch the attention of people who would uh, wonder about this thing, what is it that we're supposed to find, and that people might engage in a personal conversation then as a result of that, and that people would enter into an understanding of who Christ is, and eventually that they would con come to the place of knowing Christ as their Savior and Lord. I mean, these billboards, a picture of which I found on the internet, these billboards, there were, there were thousands of them across America, and tens of thousands of people wore that little button that you may still have somewhere tucked away in your personal belongings perhaps and, and and amazingly i mean the crusade was was uh, kind of mocked at times not kind of it was by people who say i didn't i didn't know it was lost you know those kinds of statements were bantered about but the truth is as best as we can tell about three million americans began a personal relationship with jesus christ during those four years as a result of this kind of splashy campaign jesus did say and you know this seek and you will find and so we need to acknowledge whether this is our place today or it was many years ago in our life that we begin to search for something within and we're not always sure what to call it or what it is but this filling of this vacuum of the soul and it is for the promised messiah that you will seek and if you continue you will find him as well with that in mind i invite you to look at this passage that we've read it's from a 66 chapter book as you know it is a book about the promised one repeatedly spoken of by uh, as the messiah by this prophet isaiah and he would talk about the things of who christ was and and how we would know him. And some of those things were fulfilled when Christ was born in that, that scene that we have seen in Bethlehem and sung of today. And some of them would be fulfilled in what we call the not yet. In other words, we're still not, we've not seen all of the fulfillment of the book of Isaiah yet. But, but Isaiah is really, as uh, one of my profs in seminary, Walter Kaiser, would refer to as the fifth gospel. The Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the book of Isaiah, because the book of Isaiah speaks of this Messiah so clearly as we, as we work away, our way through it. J just yesterday I was corresponding with a friend uh, 
who uh, we have known and is going to travel with us to Israel in a, in, a, in a number of months from now. And, and we were talking about what we were preaching on. He said, well, I'm preaching on Isaiah 9 tomorrow. What are you? I said, Isaiah 11. So, I mean, it's just kind of like I'm a little ahead of him. That's all there is to it. <laughs> now, uh, preachers do that, by the way. They banter about those things. But this Walter Kaiser spoke about uh, what the book of Isaiah is about. And there are a number of things that you would see in it. For instance, it speaks about this anointed one. This anointed one. And if you just look on the screen, you'll see just some of the references. He's referred to as the branch in chapter 4. The foundation stone, which we read of in the New Testament, the cornerstone um, in Isaiah 28. The teacher uh, in Isaiah 30. And the servant theme comes out in a number of passages. And the conqueror theme comes out in a number of passages. And then this last one, which we've sung again of this morning, this, this picture of, of the Messiah as the king in a number of passages as well. And we look at one of them today. In fact, there are 18 such texts in all of the book of Isaiah that speak specifically about this promised Messiah. So the Messiah as king that is what we are searching for in the scriptures today and in the story of the gospel clearly given to us so for some of us today this is perhaps most of us it is a time of remembering may i say that that's very important for us as believers we we could read this passage and say oh i i know that passage but we need to stop and remember and and we need to just dwell upon the truth of a a passage like this for others i I trust this morning it will be the time where some pieces come together we say i see that yes that's true and you come to the place where you know even this morning that christ is this king of kings this lord of lords to whom you will now give your heart as he calls you to himself so this morning if if you want to grasp this real quickly because i don't hand out a written outline we're going to talk as the about the messiah today as the real ruler and the just ruler and the peace-giving ruler and you'll see that laid out clearly in this passage before so here let's begin with this we want to see that Christ is the real ruler. That's verses 1 and 2. Now here's how, how we miss reading a passage of Scripture like this. Because we jump right to the nouns. We kind of look at the, the big words. And we're going to do that. But I, I want you to see this right at the beginning. They, there shall come forth. There shall come forth. This is not a story that, nah, maybe it'll happen. It's a fairy tale to some people. No, it's not that at all. It is a promise from God put down in in writing by the prophet Isaiah. He says, this Messiah, this one that I'm going to tell you about, is coming. And he will be the servant. He will be the teacher. He will be the conqueror. But ultimately what we want to see in Isaiah 11 is that he is the king. And he gives us three stories. Now the stories aren't really spelled out for us. They're just in little words. And that's where we as students of the word of God get to just dig in a lot more and find out what it is that he's saying. So here's three stories right before us. The first one is what I call the stump story. Some of you know what I'm talking about already. The stump story. I mean, stumps happen in life. We know that, right? 
I mean, sometimes trees blow down and there's a stump. Sometimes they rot away and there's the stump. On, on Thanksgiving Day, I took a, a chainsaw to a 30-year-old pear tree. Now, do you know what a, a 30-year-old pear tree is good for? Burning. That's the only thing it's good. I got that straight from an arborist. So I took it down and there's this four-foot stump that's just sitting there. It still has some life in it, but it's just a stump. There's a story here in that word that's found before us today. Because we know the story of David, King David, and his what we'll call his great-greats. You know, all those, uh, those that follow him. Uh, read through the, the, the writings of Kings and Chronicles and, and you can have fun trying to figure out who is who. And, but it's all there. They're all, they're all people who are a part of that tree. And of course, they were all supposed to love the Lord their God with all their heart, their soul, their strength, and their mind. And uh, they didn't. Just simply, they didn't. They, they, they kind of were separatists in the sense that, you know, we believe that there's a God and we believe that I'm king and we'll keep the two apart. And I know that's how governments seem to sometimes work in the world, even in our own country at times. We, we see that most of the time. But the truth of the matter is that this was the king of Israel. This was a theocracy. And God was God and God was king. Only the kings didn't believe that. And so one after another, over a number of years, over 400 years to be precise, uh, come and they go. And we finally get down to Zedekiah. And Zedekiah is kind of the pansy puppet king of Nebuchadnezzar. And he ends up having his eyes put out. And I'm just telling you, all that's left is the stump. That's all there is. There's a stump. All this greatness of the king of Israel, kings of Israel, uh, a stump. And Ezekiel goes on, another prophet, of course, you would know his name, and he speaks about Zedekiah, or Zed, and, and uh, he says this of him, you, O profane, that's, a, that's another word for uh, someone without reference. You, you're a flippant kind of man. You're the, the wicked one, he writes, prince of Israel, whose day has come, the time of your final punishment has come. Ezekiel 21. I mean, it, it, it's, it's a stump, that's all. But then there's this little phrase in the stump story. And there's a shoot that comes. And it's not a sucker, by the way. It's not something that's just got a little bit of life in it. Because it says right before your eyes, look at it, it shall bear fruit. And there was this hope that was given in that statement, this picture of a stump, but something's coming out of it. And it's this ruler king who is coming, eventually, He will come. The story of the stump. There's the story of the Spirit. The Spirit story in verse 2. This tells us how this, this ruler will succeed. The Bible says, Isaiah says, read it, the Spirit of God will rest on Him. Now, you know, if you kind of think of uh, John, perhaps, the, the beloved one, putting his head on Jesus. That's not what this is about. If you think about the, the, the picture of a dove just kind of lighting on the Messiah and then flittering away, that's not what this is about. The Hebrew word here speaks of something that rests 
like a stamp to a piece of paper, like two pieces of Indian paper that have been glued together. You can't take them apart. It's, it's resting permanently there. And so the promise is, and the picture is, this one who is the Spirit of God coming on this one who has human form, who is fully human. It is the Spirit of God. It's to tell us this, that this promised Messiah is God Himself. So that Colossians 1, right? You know this from verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God. Or later on in verse 19, where it says, For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All in this one being, this ruler, the Spirit of God rests geographically in the same place, in the same way. God in flesh. So there's the Spirit story. And then there's the, the strength story that's found as well. And this tells us how this one will lead. Isaiah verse 2 lists the ways that he succeeds. Some say there's seven. Some say there's six. I say, wow, whatever it is. Here's, here's how he leads. He leads with what, what I've called perpetual smarts. Okay? He leads with wisdom and understanding. How many times have I said, boy, I, I wish I knew what to do right now. Well, I, I, I wish I, I understood this situation. What, what, what leader, on, what honest leader, has ever said, uh, you know, I missed that one. I, I wish I, got, I could do that again. I'd like to get another shot at it. Now, I'll, I want us to see this today, that this one who is coming, this strength story, reveals a ruler who is full of wisdom and understanding. It's what Paul will pray for again in that same chapter, Colossians chapter 1. He'll pray that for the believers, that they would have all spiritual wisdom and understanding. It's found in Christ the one that is spoken of back in Isaiah chapter 11. Jesus never had to make a retraction. He, did, he never had to say, that's not what I meant. His teaching was clear, crystal clear, full of wisdom, full of understanding. He's the one who is coming. And then lastly, let me point this out. That Isaiah also says he's one of Flawless spirituality. Flawless spirituality. I've, st I've skipped over the why. I just want you to know he's undepletable. It's all there. It's, it's found here. But he's the, the, the one of flawless spirituality. That is, there is no error in this ruler who is coming. So that's the promised one. There's nobody else like him. You can try to imagine somebody greater, but I can't. No one ever would refer to him as a fake. No one ever had to do a fact check on him. He was who he was. And that's the one that Isaiah says, search for him and you will find. So he's a real ruler. Secondly, he is a just ruler. Now we could spend the rest of the morning, I, uh, well, we could spend a whole morning just on verses 3 through 5. 
But don't overlook the statement from God. Do you think in our life we will ever know somebody that we, they finish four years in the office of the White House and we say, you know what, he was right all the time. Why is that so funny to us? Because we know it's impossible. It's not just improbable, it's impossible. It will never happen. It will never happen. But what we need to see is this one, this one that, that I'm, I'm telling you I have found him, this just ruler is declared to us who is righteous and rightly, who is righteous and acts in the right way all the time. Now the principle is found here in the passage. He is the, the one who is behind all of these decisions that we, we read of in the story of God. Let me just remind you from the passage of Scripture what this, this, this principle is not. It is not making judge, judgment by what we see or what we hear. Even, even this promised res, ruler is not, is not one who judges just by what he sees and what he hears. You see that? That's our modus operandi. That's what most of us do. That's what those poor guys in the white and black striped shirts do all the time. Did you see the Ohio State game last night? I'm telling you, having spent 17 years in Wisconsin, they weren't right all the time. That's the world in which we live. It's how most of us make our judgments. We see something, we decide that's the way it is. And the truth is not always available to us by our senses. We're sometimes tricked. We're sometimes given ideas that sound right, but they're not right. Well, there, here is this one who judges right in righteousness and in the right way. You read about him throughout the Scriptures, this wonderful Messiah who comes. You see, his principle is this. It is to make all of his judgments according to truth the truth of who He is and the truth of who we are. Now, we sing in our churches sometimes that's a, a song about that's who He is, who He is, who He is, and it's about this God of love, and then that's who we are, and that's who we are, and that's who we are because we're people who are loved by Him. We're loved by, and all that's true, by the way. That is true. But I want you to know there's more about God than just saying that's who He is. He's God who loves us, and that's who He is. We're, we're loved by God. I want you to see this. He is a God of righteousness. Of righteousness. Don't think of that as a horrible word or a mean word or a cruel word, even though there are things about it that we will say, ooh, that's kind of painful to think about right now. But we need to. Now, you know, as I used to say when I was an interim pastor, I'm going to say some things that, don't worry, I'll be gone pretty soon. You know, that kind of... So... But let me, let me just remind you, even from today's, this week's news, what went on in Philadelphia, this, the city of brotherly love this week, Samaj Obranti, this 10-year-old little boy, shot by walk, while walking home from school. And I say, well, where's the justice in that? And if that were the only story in the news, it would be bad enough. But even in the month of October in the same city, an 11-month-old, a 2-year-old, somehow 
just innocently in the wrong place. Now, now most of us want justice. I do. I want mercy and justice. I, I need them both because if I only got what was just all the time, I would have been destroyed already. So I need the mercy of God as well. But the, the, the problem is that we sit around and, and we see things and put up the, the next picture. We see things and, you know, some of you read a sign like that and you go, well, I know, I know, you know, what the real problem is. And I'm going, yeah, if you base everything on, the, on what we see and what we hear only, we'll have our ideas. I just want you to know that most black people that I know don't understand why so many of them die. And most white people, I'm just saying most, most white people know it's because they do bad things. Now, I don't know either of those. I just know that we need justice and we need the mercy of God. We need his righteousness. And that's what this one who is coming will bring. Only the promised one can pull it off. He is uncorrupted and he is incorruptible, both. He always makes the right decision and he makes it in the right way, with the right timing. All kinds of application. Suffering happens. Suffering happens. We see it in the, the micro levels, but it, it, we, we know it all the time. Charlotte and I do a little bit with refugees. Uh, the Syrians. This week in the news, the Bosnians have people coming across their border hoping to get west, to Western Europe to, just to exist. We say, where's the justice in all of this? People don't want them. Our country doesn't want some people. What are we supposed to do with all of that? But it's more than that. You know, my father died at 56. Your husband at 63. Uh, children die in their infancy. Johnny Erickson Tata her accident, Corey Tenboon, and I mean, I, I just my mind fills up in the little ones. The little ones always come back to my mind, and I say, God, how do we deal with all of this suffering? And I have to find this one who says that he is righteous and he does things in a right way. And I'm reminded of the words of James Emerson White, who is a, a preacher from the East Coast in a book he called A Search for the Spiritual. And he says, the real question is whether you as a seeker will allow the reality of pain and suffering to drive you away from God or to God. And I'm telling you, it has driven me to God. It has driven me to God. When I've cried out to God in the middle of the night over some of the things that have gone on in my own life and the life of people around me and the life of the people of this church. And I say, God, be righteous. We have to know the righteous God who does things in the right way. And sometimes that leads us to the question of who gets to go to heaven and who gets to go to, or has to go to hell. And some people have all kinds of different ideas about that. But I need a God who is righteous, who does things in the right way. A, a, a few years, not many back now at all since I've retired. 
I was I was free, you know. I didn't have to be someplace on Sunday morning. We got, I went to another church in another state when we were still living in California, and uh, just before we moved here. And there was this discussion with Dennis Prager and uh, Wayne Grudem. I don't know if you know either of those names, but Wayne Grudem is a marvelous theologian. And uh, Dennis Prager, whatever you like about him, he is a very committed uh, Jewish man who thinks about lots of American issues. But on the platform, being held at a, at a Bible church that evening, these two men were discussing and debating, and Dennis Prager said, oh, you have to believe that God somehow marks on a curve. You, you have to believe that God uh, grants uh, his, his eternal life to, to those who do better than those who do worse. Uh, that sounds good to me. If I call it the way I see it or hear it, that's probably what I would say as well. But no, there has to be a righteousness. There has to be. There has to be a heaven. There has to be a hell. There can't be one or the other because they would. there has to be one to contrast it to. And so the Bible says that there is a righteousness that is fulfilled in the Messiah, in this one who is coming and as we come to Him, when we call upon His name, we seek that One who is, ser- is perfect and, and, and this God of righteousness and mercy, and He gives His life to us. And He who d- delivers all truth in a righteous way delivers us in a righteous way by becoming the sacrifice for our sins. So I, I, I'm going on, but please, I want you to see that in this phrase a little bit today because there is this principle, there are all these practices that are just mentioned here as well, and I just mentioned them, that He judges the poor righteously. He judges the poor righteously. He uses in the next phrase, He, he, he judges those who are meek, and it, it's not the same word, but it, it really provides the same thought. He, does, he, he judges the, the meek and, and the poor that those who frankly get the short end of the stick in life and, and seem to be pushed more and more off the margins of life, he treats them, he judges them. It, it, he judges them righteously, and it doesn't mean that they get off because they're in this situation, but there is something in the heart of God for those who are poor and afflicted and, and the meek of the earth. And somehow I want to worship, and I do worship a God who loves people that way. And I want to be a part of His love as well. There's more about the judgment of God in this passage. But let me move on just to, quick, to quickly come to our conclusion by saying not only is, is, is He a real ruler and not only is He the, this just ruler, but He is this peace-giving ruler. I love this picture. You have to see this picture. Verses 6 through 9. Right? You see it. Uh, I, I have all kinds of thoughts when I see something like this. A, a wolf and a lamb, a little calf and a big lion, a cow and a bear. You know, they're both eating grass. Well, the cow obviously is eating grass and we know the bear is eating uh, the beechwood branch. I mean, that we, that's their diet. We know. I, you know, I, I love all those pictures. Then I read down about my this little one who's got kind of looking down in the hole of a cobra. Uh, I, I have sat outside, uh, inside the window of a van in Pakistan once when somebody came up with a basket. My window was down, and he came up with a basket with a cobra coming up out of it, a real one. 
And I was not Christian at all at that moment. I rolled the window up and just, I, no, don't play games with me. You're not getting any money. Go. I don't want to see my nine-year-old, I'll, I'll admit this, I don't want to see my nine-year-old, I can't picture this, my nine-year-old granddaughter, you know, kind of playing around with a cobra. But, but you get the picture of this? Some people have all kinds of theological discussions about, you know, who is the wolf and who is the lion and all, all those things. I think we're supposed to take them literally. Maybe there's some spiritual lesson in that. I, the picture is this, that somehow this Messiah who is righteous and does things rightly is able to bring peace to a world. And this is really going to mess up some of you, especially in light of what you said about the potluck, uh, you know, the protein and all that stuff. But you, but you, but you know... You know, if you read, every year I, we read through the Bible in our home, and every year, last week, this past week, I read Second Peter. It's not boring, trust me, to read through the Bible in this way uh, year after year. But every, so I come to this passage, and there's this stuff about animals that in this life are to be destroyed. But look here, you know, there is a day coming and I'm not looking forward to it, I'll admit it. We're going to all be vegetarians. I mean, the animals are going to just be hanging out with us too, I guess. And we're going to have a whole different relationship with them. And I can't imagine that God can come up with a dish that good. But I believe He can. I do believe that. Because He is this peace-giving King. I mean, the things that we, the animosity that we find in our world, God gone now you you may want to just settle for what we've got today wars and rumors of war but i'm waiting for the day when that's done and that's the one who is promised here peace on earth i'm waiting for the marriage supper of the lamb not uh made up of lamb i you know i'm waiting for that so here we see it Peace on earth. That's my friend's text from Isaiah chapter 9, by the way. Uh, peace on earth, he says to men. See, Christmas is about this unbelievable gift. Unbe it's pretty unbelievable, isn't it? If you go through, take your time to go through this passage. It, it's better than Alexis somebody gets because they patched Santa Claus's britches, you know, in some way or... Some Ford pickups, you know, red or black, which one do you want? Uh, this is something far greater than that. This is an unbelievable salvation that is offered to all who believe. It is the gift of the Messiah. It is the gift that is spoken of throughout the Scriptures. It is the gift that comes as one man dies, Adam. So in Christ shall all be made alive. I want you to know I found him. I found him. I found him believable. Our Savior. Let's pray. Well, Father, uh, we've spent some time looking at a statement that you gave to us through Isaiah centuries, millennia ago. Help us, those of us who are people of faith already, every time we open that passage to see more than just a few words, but the greatness of who you are and the wonder of this promised Messiah that we seek.
And thank you that we can read the fulfillment of this story mostly in the book of, of, of the Gospels in the New Testament. Mostly there. Of the Christ who came. But thank you also for the promise of the Christ who comes. We await him. We believe in him. We're grateful that he, he Messiah, you, our Father, believe in us and love us enough to redeem us from our sin. We pray this morning for those who have waffled or waved on this for so long that even today they might say, I believe, I found him. And all of us who are people of faith would stand in the firmness of that faith granted to us by Christ alone, in whose name we pray, amen.